Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, episode 930 for Monday, May 30th, 2022. Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where we take your t- questions, we take your tips, we take your cool stuff found, all this stuff that you've sent in to feedback at MacGeekGab.com, and we answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found, with the goal being that each and every one of us learns at least five new things every, sing- every single time we get together. Easy for me to say. Today we're going to be talking, we've got some quick tips to share with you. We've got a bunch of cool stuff found, some new portable screens, some places to find when apps are on sale and uh, even free, and some other fun stuff because that's what we do. And then uh, we've got a bunch of questions and comments about Wi-Fi and Mesh and the new uh, discussion of the new Synology router. And yeah, fun stuff on deck for today here. Oh, our sponsor for today. Almost forgot to read that because I did something a little different here. But it's a company that we will never forget about. It's Otherworld Computing and their new Envoy Pro Mini. Can't wait to tell you about that, which we will do a little bit later in the show. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And here, in spite of my very best efforts not to be (laughs) in Lee, New Hampshire, is Pilot Pete Dave, can you come over to my house and teach me to turn my computer on, please? Uh, you know what, um, Pete? Just um, it, just pack it up in the box and send it back. <laughs> you're too stupid to have a computer. <laughs> those are I, those are not my words. <laughs> uh, oh man, uh, I, but I made it. Uh, yeah, I, I tried not to be able to log in today, but uh, I find I finally did make it in spite of my best efforts. So. Uh, always fun to be here with you, gents. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad. I'm glad we're all here. Yeah, you're. Um, I, that that reminded me. I did when I when we ran computer nerds down in Texas. I remember one of our nerds hearing him on the phone. And I will leave his name out of it. Uh, telling a client like, okay, yeah, no, like, and I could hear like the frustration mounting. I think he probably used the the mute button on the phone to to like you know do a little bit of primal screaming into the air to relieve some tension a few times. And finally, I heard him tell this woman, listen, do you still have the box your computer came in? And I'm like, no, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. And he did it. He, he's like, I think you just need to pack it up and, and, uh, and send it back. So we had to have a conversation about what not to do with customers. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was a teachable moment and a learning experience for us all. So, yeah. This show is meant to be a learning experience. John, you want to take us to listener Bruce with uh, get some quick tips kicked off here? Absolutely. All right, Bruce. Uh, whoops, here we go. Okay, uh, Bruce says, Today I inadvertently pressed my finger on the background of my iPhone screen, and to my surprise, all the icons started wiggling. Uh, I had always pressed and held on a particular icon before, which brings up a contextual menu, but to just get the wiggle... Going generally, this works. Um, this is also known to many as jiggle mode. Yeah. I, I This has been driving me crazy for some reason. Just in the last week, I, uh, I, I, you know, I've been doing some app rearranging or whatever on, I guess, on my iPad or one of my iPads or something. 
and and this whole like long press turns into a contextual menu and doesn't necessarily get it into jiggle mode has been driving me crazy. As soon as I saw you put this quick tip in the agenda, I was like, oh, that's the secret. So you click, you tap and hold where there is not an app. I like it. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. and the follow on to that is you can two hand this now. Once you've got it in the jiggle mode and you pick up an app, if you want to move it to the last screen, swipe with your thumb across or even touch the dots at the bottom and it'll take it to the screen you want it to. So you don't have to try and hold it on the edge of the screen and hope that it moves over to the next menu. Yeah. yeah. Good. Swipe the screen behind it. Yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah. I always forget about that one, but yes. Yeah. Great stuff. That's why I love doing these because they remind us of things or they and teach us things. To let people know, jiggle mode is when when the icons are wiggling, you can either move them or you could delete an app. Just yep. let people know what jiggle mode is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Nice find, Bruce. Thanks for surfacing that, John. Uh, you're on a roll. You want to take us to Gary? Yeah. No, I think Gary's on a roll. He sends us a lot of good stuff. Um, well, he linked to an article here. Um I remember them talking about this at a prior keynote, but I never really tried the feature. But he links to a Lifehacker article called, You Can Now Use Your iPhone to Identify Animals, Plants, and Landmarks. Um, And you certainly can. In a nutshell, um, if you go into photos on your iDevice, um, you're going to see... I think you have to, Lisa was doing this in the car, or showing me this in the car the other day. You, if you go to a photo individually and start, like, scrolling up, it's kind, the, the UX kind of reminded me of all the hidden things that are underneath a song when you're playing it in the music app, right? It, it's like all this extra data. And if there is something that the phone thinks is identifiable there, it will offer to do exactly that. Like, so you can look up... If it sees that it's a dog, it will let you look up what breed of dog it is or what breed of cat it is. Uh, and it'll do the same with plants. I think that's what it is, right? It's the animals, plants, and, oh, and landmarks, too, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So if the phone thinks it's something interesting, uh, I believe what happens is you will see the info um, icon uh add something saying, Hey, there's more information here. Why don't you click on me and I'll, I'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you what's going on. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have it find many things. Oh, I don't have any. Well, actually, yeah, I didn't have, it it wasn't an animal plant or landmark. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You're right though. You go to the, you go to the, the info button. That's, that's it. It's not scroll up. Sorry. It's, it's info Mm -hmm. button. And then, yeah, it'll like, like it, uh, you know, mine. (laughs) Pulling up is like it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yell. Uh, Pulling up is like hitting the info button almost though. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a picture of puck, our cat, and it put a little paw on the cat in the picture. And then I can tap look up and it says, look up cat. And when I choose look up, it'll, uh, well, it, it lets me acknowledge that it's okay to do that. And then it, it shows that it's either, that Puck is either an American short hair or a British short hair. And it shows wow. me other web images of cats that look like Puck, but none of them, well, none on of them are as good as Puck. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it depends on his accent. accent. <laughs> <laughs> Just this is this is why we love having you here, Pete. Sorry, brother. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. All right, that's what we have for quick tips today, right? I think we're uh, we're out of quick tips. Good so stuff. You can send yours in to feedback at macgeekab.com, and then we will share them in the next episode. Oh, feedback at macgeekab.com. I think he said feedback at macgeekab.com. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did. That, and, and he meant it, too. Ooh. He did. Uh, let's talk about some Wi-Fi stuff. It's been a while. Uh, let's start with Ed, because I, I think that's going to lead us into a couple of discussions here. And Ed says, I need some help making some config changes to my Synology home router. He's running the RT2600AC, which is the almost recently current router, even though it's six years old. The, we'll talk about the 6600AX, which I have here, and, uh, and I can share some initial experiences with it. He says, I have a lot of smart sensors and switches, which I control with the Home Assistant hub that I run on a Raspberry Pi 4. This allows me to completely remove them from the cloud and control them locally. Ah, very cool. Nah, I never quite understood. I love when there's these unintentional explanations of things. I never understood why I'd want to use Home Assistant to do something that I can already do with, you know, all of my other things. But this this decloudifies some things. Okay, got it. Uh, anyway, back to his question. So thank you. Ed. Uh, he says, I've set all of them up with DHCP reservations and using safe access, which is Synology's uh, filtering uh, methodology and app. Uh, so he says, I put them all into a single profile and use the Internet scheduler to completely block them from the Internet 24-7. OK, so he, he only wants these smart sensors to talk locally on the network, uh, but they need to be on the network. So he has simply blocked those devices from uh, from seeing the outside world. Smart. OK, smart. I like this. He says all is good. Now what I want to do is also block them from my entire internal network, except for one fixed IP address, which is the Home Assistant Hub. I can't seem to figure out how to limit internal traffic between devices on my LAN using the router. Help me, Obi-Wan, he says. You are my only hope. Well, we hopefully we'll all be Obi-Wan. The trick, though, is I don't think your router can do this yet. The simplest, perhaps even the best way of doing it, is isolating them on what's called a VLAN, and if you have a router that understands VLAN tagging and switches, which understand VLAN tagging, you can assign a VLAN, a virtual LAN, to specific devices. And then your routing hardware, your network hardware, your switches and your router will see this tag and do the things with it that you've told it to do, which can be isolating it can be only allowing certain devices to see a tag or not allowing it on the Internet. All the things that you're describing are are sort of what VLANs are built for. And many I know that the term VLAN sounds like it might be, uh, you know, sort of pie in the sky. Many of us have already had experiences with VLANs, even though we might not know it via the guest networks on our routers. Guest networks often, but not always, use VLANs to segregate that traffic and keep it from connecting and seeing your other local things. You might even have seen a, a, a checkbox in your router when you're setting up your guest network that says, do you want to let guests see devices on the local network? 
that's configuring the VLAN to either allow or not allow uh, the networks to cross over. That's but but that's a very limited VLAN interface, right? It's you know, get like three options at most. Uh, your router, your RT twenty six hundred AC, does not have uh, full VLAN support yet, but Synology uh, has their router software. It's called SRM, Synology Router Manager, and version one point three adds VLAN support. We can't get version 1.3 on our RT2600 ACs yet, but we will be able to this summer. I think July, maybe August is what they're targeting. They they don't want to give a, a firm date because, it, you know, things change. So it it's coming, though. The support will be there. And that's probably given given what Ed described as his home network. This is this is well within the the same geek level as uh, as what as what uh, what Ed's doing already. And so that's one of the things I like about the Synology router is it, it just makes life. They take all these geeky options and wrap them inside a fairly easy to understand interface. And, and that's what I love about it is it, it can be a simple router if you want to keep it simple, but if you want to dig deep, there's a lot of stuff there and, and they're adding more as we, as we've seen the, uh, the thing that they are adding more to initially is the new Synology RT2600AX. And this is a brand new router. We've talked about it coming, uh, but it is here in that you can order it or maybe it's kind of a pre-order at this point in time. <laughs> the AX is uh, it, it's a tri-band router. Uh, it's 802.11ax on the 5.9 gigahertz band, so it's actually using the full spectrum of 802.11ax. What's that, John? No, go ahead. Oh, okay, and uh, and it's it's got it's got three uh, three radios in it: a 5 gigahertz, a 2.4, and a and a 5.9 gigahertz radio, and and it supports all the wide channels. They've got a new quad-core processor in there. They say for fast connection speeds. I'll talk about that in a minute. And a 2.5 gig WAN port for connecting to uh, WANs that are faster than your, uh, you know, your typical one gig. I have not been able to make the 2.5 gig WAN port work. It only connects to my devices at uh, one gig. But uh, we'll see how that evolves. The Things have been things have been wonky with my experience with the RT sixty six hundred AX so far. Uh, yes, it has VLAN support. I, I honestly think that's the the core of my wonkiness, and and wonkiness is a technical term. But uh, you know, I've got a bunch of smart switches here on the network, and things just haven't been great with this new router like devices coming on and offline in weird ways that i never experienced before i I literally just swapped out the 2600 ac with the 6600 ax and it's been it's been a trying week let's put it that way it so much so that this morning before uh recording this show i punted and i said fine i'm going back to the the 2600 ac and so that's what i did but um, it like speeds are weird. You know, I'm on this fiber connection here and I have, uh, you know, gigabit symmetrical 
meaning gigabit up and down, on my 2600AX with their traffic control enabled. So packet shaping and all of the things that require a little bit extra CPU, I get full 940 megabit per second, you know, speed tests in both directions. All good. No problems. With traffic control disabled on the AX, I get, you know, 700 down, maybe 750 down and like 600, maybe 650 up. There's no and and I can look in and see the CPUs just totally pegged. And if I turn on traffic control, it's at best half that. So I think there's some optimizations that need to happen in SRM 1.3. And they're working on these. I, you know, I have a review unit of this. Yes, it's technically been announced and you can buy it, but I don't think you can get one shipped to you yet. And I, I have a feeling that's why, <laughs> um, which is fine. They, I have no doubt they will figure this out. They've they've done you know great work in the past. And the testament to that is the fact that my preferred router is the RT2600 AC, which is a six year old router. like, And it still does more for me than any other router I could get that's targeted at consumers. So uh, it, and and performs gangbusters like it just blows everything else out of the water, including at least for the moment, it's younger brother, <laughs> younger, more powerful brother. But um, but I think that'll change. I, I think it's just SRM one three that they need to to do some tweaks on, and and that's the fine. only thing that was even close. I think was some of the uh, prosumer grade routers that you then had to flash with DDWRT. To- that's exactly right, Pete. Yep, I used to. I, yeah, I lived in DDWRT uh, on the the sort of higher end consumer routers to turn them into what Synology did with SRM. Yeah, that's right. You're right. I totally forgot about that. I was running DDWIRT right up until Synology came out with SRM, and it was like, awesome. I can actually run factory-installed firmware on a router. This is amazing. And it's been that way for six years. But but you're right. Yeah, for the first 10 years of this show, I was running you know third-party wonky firmware that worked great. Do they still sell the 1900? I haven't looked in a while. I have one sitting in a box. Um, It was kind of a backup, I suppose. I I, I was running it in Florida and I don't know if I had a lightning strike or what. They actually wound up swapping it for me. And and I had a consumer router down there now. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I, I like the, the, the interface for the, and there haven't been many changes to the interface of SRM. If, if you're used to, Either SRM on the on the nineteen hundred or the twenty two hundred or the twenty six hundred, then it will feel very much at home for you on the sixty six hundred. Oh, and if you've never used the Synology router but you've used Synology Disk Station, it will also feel at home for you because it's that same web interface paradigm. It works very well. They've they've massively enhanced the feature set of the app for your iPhone, uh, so you can control a whole lot more. You can control the VPN server now, and it really it like. It's great, and and the the VLANs are really well done. It, they're spaced out in the network center in a way that makes good sense, but uh, but it's just like performance wise, it's just been a little. It, seems, it needs some tuning, I believe, I, or I have a, a bad piece of hardware. We haven't ruled that out yet, and, and that's entirely possible. Like that happens. These are consumer electronics. You know, they're mass produced, and so it's possible. I just have you know, I, I was the lucky one, um, but. Don't let this turn you off. I think it's going to be fine. Uh, I have all the faith in the world that they will get this there. But at the moment, 
that's work in progress. The the other thing that becomes a work in progress for the Synology uh, 6600 is meshing. With the older Synology units, you could use, say, a 2600 as your main router and then also a 2600 or their mesh point, the MR2200AC, as uh, mesh points. And they would, you know, it would create a Wi-Fi mesh uh, like we're accustomed to. In order for that to work, all of the devices need to be on the same version of SRM. And right now, the only device that runs SRM 1.3 is the 6600. So if you get a 6600, the only things that can mesh with it are other 6600s. However, as I noted when we were answering Ed's question, the other devices, the 2200 and the 2600, will be getting SRM 1.3 later this summer and when they do they will then be able to participate in the meshing with uh with the 66 so you could take your old 2600 i think you might even be able to take your old 1900 pete but i i don't have the specs for the proposed devices for srm 13 in front of me maybe somebody in the chat room at live.macgeekup.com can uh can tell us before the show ends but uh but yeah yeah it's good stuff it's getting there it's getting there I'm excited. I'm I'm really glad that Synology is taking part in the continuing to take part in in the router side of their business. You know, there was some question with the 2600 having, you know, sort of sat there as the, their flagship router for, you know, more than five years. There was some question as to uh, we think we think there's a uh, maybe this is the end of the line. And it turns out, no, they just didn't need to update it. And they waited until they could do the full 802.11ax on the 5.9 gigahertz band. Like they didn't want to jump the gun and just get in, uh, you know, with just the five gigahertz stuff. They wanted to wait until they could do the whole thing, which is which makes sense. I like it. So any questions on that while we're still here on this? It's kind of like they have the philosophy. It ain't broke. Don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or wait, our philosophy is, is it's very similar to that here. It's a, if it ain't broke, fix it till it, it, it is. That's right. <laughs> I got a question. Yeah, man. Why would you want to isolate your IOT devices from your network? I, that is a good question. And I don't know if you're asking that because you have an answer or if you are. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just asking questions here. Yeah. But, um, okay. I, I, I make no additional effort to isolate my smart devices because as far as I can tell, it's not something I'm really worried about. I I don't either, but I'm in a relatively isolated area. I would imagine in an apartment setting or condo setting or someone with a lot more people close by, it provides a vector into your network. Well, no, I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, I get what you're, you're saying, but the only way people are going to get into your network is if they have control of a device that knows your Wi-Fi credentials, right? So, yes, your smart home devices would know your Wi-Fi credentials, but they're not going to share them with your neighbor, right? The 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 bigger issue, and it and I I don't I I have yet to find reason to subscribe to this philosophy myself, but I know there's a lot of listeners out there that already do. And people, of course, beyond the listening audience of the show who do who who are you know concerned about the robustness of the security or lack thereof in their IOT devices 
and therefore want to segregate them off so that they don't have the ability if if one of their IoT devices gets hacked and the way that it would get hacked is not generally not from your neighbor, but from someone online that knows how to root into, you know, your webcam. There, there was there was a or on your IP camera webcam is probably the wrong term to use. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a long I don't know if we rewind three or four years, there was a rash of attacks on IP uh, IOT devices and web, the, uh, the web, the, the IP cameras yeah. Yeah, were, were the, were the, it's sort of the, the most popular vector for that because they're all running embedded Linux. And if the security updates don't happen the way they should, then any, you know, root options that could get in, that could let someone into these things will just stay open. And so it's up to the manufacturer to to do their job and keep their devices secure so that someone on the internet can't use it as a, as a tunnel into your network. So that's the reason that people would want to segregate off their, their devices. And I know a lot of folks who put them on their guest network, right? But the problem with that is if you want local access to them, you can't have it, right? They only, the only thing they get to do is talk to the internet, but it does isolate them from talking with your devices. So, so this, the, the idea of putting it on a VLAN allows you to have, you know, that granular control of, okay, well, I, I want these devices here, but I also want that one to be able to see it. So let's do it that way. So, yeah. But I, 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 so more work than it's worth probably. I, I think so. I, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things like I don't need backups until the day that I do. Uh, I, I have a feeling I should be, you know, taking a minute and, Knocking on wood, uh, as I as I say these things, but yeah, John, I'm like you. I I just put everything on one network, and the only time that's bit me in the butt was when I added more devices than I had carved out uh, DHCP reservations. Right, I had a hundred DHCP pool, and I, I I think I talked about this. You know, it was sometime mid early or early or on in the pandemic. I don't want to say mid pandemic because I don't know where we are and things, but anyway, uh, you know, I hadn't had the band here at the house for a long time and they came over and none of them could get there or only one of them could get their iPads to connect to the internet. And it was like, Oh, I need to expand my pool. And I didn't, everything was fixed. It was fine. But that's the only issue I've had with, with putting my IOT devices on my home network. But I do run things that, would tell me if a device was doing something completely out of the ordinary. My thing box does some rudimentary things. Uh, my Synology router does some other, it has safe access and threat protection. And so there are some things paying attention. Maybe that's the, the right way to, to look at it. So hopefully if something was running amok, I would notice it. And who knows? Maybe the issues that I'm having with the RT sixty six hundred AX have nothing to do with the router and are some device on my home network that's you know running amok that I don't know about and it is sensitive to. Like I don't know. I, I anything's possible. Uh, Could you run your twenty six hundred configuration file into the new one, into the sixty six hundred? No, not, it, okay. it won't import. I tried, Pete. <laughs> Uh, so I manually put everything in, but no, it, when I tried to import my settings file, it said, 
you can only import a settings file that was created with SRM 1.3. And of course, I don't have 1.3. I have 1.2 on my older routers. Yeah. So, yeah, I tried. But I, I was able to pull them both up side by side in, you know, in different web interfaces and just manually, you know, here's all my DHCP reservations. Here's all this. Here's all that. You know, tedious, but also gave me an opportunity to be attentive to my settings oh, review yeah yeah review yeah exactly there's some dhcp reservations i didn't need to keep anymore so you know it's like filtering things out all that so yeah it's interesting but yeah i'm, I'm like you john i've never i've never found the need i hope that it doesn't happen to me retroactively let's put it that way yeah <laughs> yeah now that's my spin it's like do i really care if someone can see the temperature of my thermostat or look in my backyard so i don't have any cameras that are in the house so yeah and in the but that's, yeah, that's not i i just want to make i i want to make it clear for the listening audience that that is generally not the concern it's not that people could get your your right. your it, not that people could access the intended data from your device. I mean, for some people, it might be like for, with an indoor camera, like I can totally see where you would be that like that might be the worst thing that could happen is someone getting access to that. But no, the issue is that these devices are little Linux computers with, you know, potential security Swiss cheese happening. So if someone could log into them and get a terminal on it, now they have unfettered access to your local network to talk to right. say your webcam that isn't even ex accessing the internet. Right. And, or they could, you know, get into your router potentially and make some changes or mess with things. So that's the concern is that someone could just like, it'd be like having, you know, a shell access, terminal access on your Mac. Like, yeah, yeah. someone's playing varsity ball, obviously to do that to your stuff too. Correct. And then um, it just, there's the comment from, Brad, which seems actually pretty simple way of doing it. Change the password default default passwords. Yeah. On your IoT devices and routers and especially yeah. your router. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Change it's, um, it's good advice. Thank you, Brad. Yeah. 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 Very good advice. You know, and then uh, uh he also said something about using different subnets for each category of stuff. Yep. Yep. Oh. You need a router that will support that. But yeah. but yes, that's right. And that's what you would do with your if you were going to VLAN these things, the best way to do it would be with different subnets so that you can kind of keep track of things and route them the way you want. Yeah. yeah. All right. While we're on the subject of mesh, listener Steve asks a question. He says, uh, it looks like it's time to replace my Netgear Orbi and move on to something else. And I thought I would seek out your thoughts ASAP on what I should use as a mesh for my home. He says, uh, I, you know, I've got uh, a couple of Mac minis, a couple of iPads, a couple of Apple TVs, and a couple of iPhones, a disk station, some other smart Wi-Fi enabled devices. He's got about 50 devices all told. And he just wants to make sure he's got good coverage. You know, my um, my feelings on this have not changed much in the last few years uh, back to when I was obsessing over it monthly and you know, looking into mesh stuff. I'm still looking into mesh stuff pretty regularly. We just don't talk about it because the, the landscape has has solidified. My favorite two mesh platforms are Plume and Eero. And the reason for that is that they 
in their own ways and differently from one another, do smart things with meshing. And what I mean by that is when you're connecting, when your iPhone connects to a network and there are three access points with the same SSID, right? So you've got, you know, my network is your SSID and your iPhone sees three access points with my network there because you have a mesh network and there's, there's three points. Your iPhone is the final, uh, your iPhone makes the decision as to which one of those three it would connect to. Now, uh, it looks at signal strength and generally will just decide based on that uh, because it doesn't have a whole lot of information from the network. A smart, but, but, but the problem is a mesh network knows a whole lot more than your iPhone does. A mesh network can know, okay, well, yeah, I've got three access points, but one of them is super overloaded. And this other one that's not terribly far away from, from his iPhone uh, would be much better to connect to. And so a smart mesh is able to do some things to either provide hints to the iPhone to encourage it to choose the right network, or some of them even go so far as to do MAC address blocking and say, okay, I, I want that iPhone on access point two instead of access point three. So I'm going to block it from access point three and force it to choose a new path. And then it will choose two. And so all of these things are what I call making a mesh smarter. And Plume, I think Plume still does it the best out of all of them. Uh, and Eero is not too far behind. They are both cloud managed, which is part of what makes this intelligence happen. They have databases of device types so they know, okay, this is the right way to provide hints to an iPhone for, you know, the right kind of roaming. This is the right way to provide hints to a Samsung phone for roaming. And those things have been different over the years. I don't know if they're still different, but every device has, has its own little nuances. And so the cloud management of Plume and Eero really does contribute to what makes them my preference. And that's that intelligence of the mesh. You will pay more for Plume and Eero, although Plume, I see that you I think you can't even get their super pods right now. Somebody pointed out to me. So it's possible they've got something new coming. And I, I don't say that to be coy. I don't know anything. Uh, but, you know, when usually when things go off the market, there's there's a reason for that. And I, I think we'll probably see something, uh, some evolution from them. At least that's that's my hope for the reasoning there. But the uh, the Eero stuff. And, you know, I would get the Wi-Fi 6 stuff or, or you can get the latest and greatest with the, you know, the AX and all that. Um, but uh, but that would be my my recommendation. If the pricing or availability there is not suitable for you, the TP-Link Deco line is absolutely my favorite. Uh, you know, it's my third choice and it's my favorite, you know, not super expensive choice. I don't want to call it the budget choice because that might that's the that is the right word to use, but it might send the wrong message. It, it like it's a fantastic router. It has some of the smarts, not all of them, but it does a great job. And TP-Link's really committed to it. So at least they seem to be. So that those would be my three options. The, the uh, Plume Superpods and the Eero both sort of holding a tie for for first place. And then the uh, and then the, the, uh, the TP-Link Deco for, you know, for second place, if you will. That's my thoughts on it. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or questions for uh, for Steve or for me. No, yeah, I'm, 
I'm good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I did notice something though, John, and I think you caught this too. Eero, up until very recently, only allowed for one user to log in to manage it. And it was either tied to your phone number or your email address. So you, you couldn't even share the login. Like if you wanted to let me manage your Eero to help you with things or whatever, it was it was impossible unless you joined the Eero Pro Club. That like like me as the consultant or something, join the Eero Pro Club, which I did. And it was a major, like I had to go through, jump through a lot of hoops to do all this just to be able to log in and manage other people's networks. Now, Eero allows for 10 additional people. So 11 total, total, including you, to manage your network. And all you got to do is go into the Eero app and send them an invite, which is so much better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. I'm, I'm stoked that they are, that they are doing this. Yeah. You go in. Uh, and choose invite admin and they can, it says they can access all the network features and details, including your name, profiles, connected devices, content filter analytics. They can add devices and profiles. They can change your Wi-Fi name, the password, adjust the content filters. So, I mean, they are truly admins, which is, which is in theory, the thing that, that one would want, if you were going to invite somebody to manage the network, that's what you'd want them to be able to do. All right. Our sponsor, Otherworld Computing, has come out with something cool. It's the OWC Envoy Pro Mini. This is a pocket-sized SSD with full-sized SSD performance. We're saying pocket-sized SSD. This thing's a thumb drive, right? USB-A, USB-C. It's got both. You can use it interchangeably. Capacities from 250 gig to 500 gig to one terabyte. So you've got room for your audio, your photographs, your graphics, your gaming, your movies, all of that stuff. It works with USB and Thunderbolt Max, PCs, iPads, Chromebooks, Android tablets, Surface devices, transfers at up to 946 megabytes per second, real world speeds with plug and play ease. You can consolidate files from smaller drives for faster, more convenient access. You can put the thing in your pocket. You can migrate data from an existing machine to a new computer. You can schedule Time Machine to work with this thing. You can record tracks on a multi-track mixer because it's fast. It, this thing's amazing. And you, you're going to want to go to MaxSales.com and look at it. It's the OWC Envoy Pro Mini. The 256 gig version is 79 bucks. The one terabyte version is only 179 So you're just going to want to go get one of these so that you have it. And you can just move your data and store your data when and where you want. It's versatile. It's protective. It's bootable. It's slim. Like I said, it's, it's pocket-sized. It's a thumb drive. Go check it out. Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com, the OWC Envoy Pro Mini, and our thanks to OWC for sponsoring this episode. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about some cool stuff found in Discord. Our, uh, we have our, our Discord room at MacGeekUp.com slash Discord, which is fantastic. And there's been a ton of – it's just a great community now. I think there's over 300 people here, and there's just constant questions and answers and tips and cool stuff found being shared all week long. Listener – I assume listener blurby uh, in Discord – Contributed to a conversation we were having about tracking when apps are on sale or free, when their prices change. And he mentioned something called App Sliced at AppSlice.co, where you can sign in and it'll, uh, you know, you can track which things you want. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I like it. Thanks, Blurby. It's good stuff. Cool stuff found indeed. 
What do you guys think about this stuff? Anything to share on this? I got one more of these, too, from the uh, thing. Oh, that's awesome. I always like uh, tr- trackers like that to help uh, help find the good stuff. When yeah. So, no, that's, that's a great tip. Gadget Coma, also in Discord, recommended cheap charts for doing the same thing. It's cheapcharts.info. And it's uh, not just, I think it's not, it's more than just apps. Uh, it's movies, TV shows, music. So lots of things there. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Thank you, Gadget Coma. Thank you, Blurby. Thanks to everybody who's sharing stuff and helping out in the Discord room. It's been fantastic. Uh, next up is Alan. Yeah. Alan shares with us back to episode 925 about remote access. He says a great free option if you have set app. So free in, included in your setup subscription is jump desktop. He says, I've tried all kinds of different options, including screens and Google remote access. And I think jump, De- jump desktop is the easiest to configure and the most stable. I don't think the client machines even need a set app subscription. So you just need it on the, on the host machine. And he says it's also available for 35 bucks directly through or through the app, app store at jumpdesktop.com. So thank you for that, Alan. Yeah, I love I love these kinds of things. Didn't know I had it. Oh, I love me some set app. <laughs> that, that's my only issue with set app is like I, it, I need to intentionally go in and look at what what's there because we'll talk right. about things on the show. And then weeks later, I'll be like, oh, wait, that's in set app. Like if, if you don't tell us. I don't even think to look there anymore. Yeah. I should change that. That's good about sending you an email. Hey, here's a new thing that's in there and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And another cool thing about Setup is I, I think you get three machines free. With okay. Your, with your basic subscription. Okay. And then for a very cheap price, I mean, maybe two or three bucks a month, you can add on additional users. Mm-hmm. So my sister in Texas is on my Setup account for you know, 12, 15 bucks a year. Yeah. Like that. It isn't much. Oh. Maybe, maybe 30. But, right, right, but still, that's a good deal. Yeah, yeah, ha, interesting. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The family plan, if you will. Yep. Yes. Cool. Uh, speaking of saving money, this is the atypical of a cool stuff found segment where we're coming in and and actually showing you ways to save. Uh, Gary shares with us that Costco members can save on Apple subscriptions, uh, news, Apple TV Plus, and I think. One other thing are are usable as uh, you or uh, yeah, Apple Arcade is the other one. So you get Apple News Plus, Apple TV Plus, and Apple Arcade subscriptions are discounted through your Costco membership. Uh, so we'll put a link in the show notes to a Mac Rumors article that uh, that sort of walks through the the specifics of that. But I thought that was pretty cool. I'm well, you know, yeah, it's good. If you don't if you don't need an Apple One subscription, having the ability to to just you know pick and choose for a lower price. I like it. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys? Are you on an Apple One subscription, Pete? I, I almost was uh, okay. because I was <laughs> almost, and I forget what there was one thing in there that I uh, went. Oh, it just doesn't quite work for me. I think. Oh, I know what it was. It was the storage amount. So I'm paying the. I'm I'm doing the two terabyte. I think. It's either one or two terabyte okay. for nine ninety five a month, and I was going to move to Apple One, drop Spotify, but they don't. They only give you like 
a small amount in Apple One, and you've got to really bump up the payment to get yes. back up to the two terabytes. Yes. So I wish they would offer. I, I think if you go in from the nine ninety five to the twenty nine ninety five, they should include what you get with the nine ninety five. Well, I think so, I I am. I'm getting. I think I pay twenty nine, and I get the the two terabytes of storage for the family. I thought it was the storage. It could be something else. I'll have okay. to go back, and, and I'll circle back with you guys on figure and when I figure out once what it is that yeah. didn't work for me. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Because I was all ready to go. Hmm. And and I wound up not pulling the trigger when I went in to pull it. And I went, oh, that doesn't, I need that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I have now, but would lose. I was thinking it was the storage. Yeah. I could be wrong. So, yeah, there are, the individual plan is fourteen ninety five. The family plan is nineteen ninety five, And then the premier plan is twenty nine ninety five. And... Let's see. Uh, they, they aren't entirely clear. Yeah. So, yeah, with two terabytes of storage, I think is what the Premier plan comes with. Mm. Uh, they, Apple doesn't make it easy to look this stuff up. I wonder why that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I. But I know that I have. I that we're paying the thirty bucks a month, and we have two terabytes of storage. So for the shared amongst the family. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, that, that's been plenty for you know for the five and four of us, whatever, however many of us are on it. So, so uh, interesting. Okay, because well, I don't have any of the Apple one. I see, yeah, it's individual, family, and Premiere. So what I've got now is basically for the storage, but I'll have to, I'll just have to figure it out and come back to you because I just don't know for sure what it is that I've I've managed to hold back on. Yep. Yep. So it. Uh, yeah, let's see. The individual plan is 50 gigs of storage. The family plan at 14.95 is 200 gigs of storage and the premier plan is is the what is the 2 terabytes yeah. of storage. So yeah. Well, I wonder what I'm on cuz I'm on a 9.95 plan. So you're that sounds like the not even there anymore. It, that's the individual plan, right? Okay. Yeah, I think that's what you're on. Yeah. So, yeah, bump it up for the family and you might wind up saving a bunch, depending on what they need to use and, and all right. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, or maybe it makes more sense for you to do the Costco thing. Although we don't we don't have Costco we local have to us. Here, here. Yeah. yeah, we have BJ's, but not Costco. So right. who knows? Maybe BJ's is doing it, too. I don't know. I haven't looked. I should. Ari. Re- resumes our conversation about uh, portable monitors. With a recommendation of the U-Perfect 4K portable uh, screen. It's a 15.6-inch portable screen, and it's 4K, which means, you know, 3840 by 2160. Uh, it is, it's, uh, he says it's available on Amazon for about $100 more than the non-4K version. So it's about 300 bucks as opposed to 200 bucks. And it's the U perfect, U, the, the letter U and the word perfect altogether, truly 4K monitor. And it's, you know, portable, uh, all of that good stuff. And it's got multiple ports so you can plug power into the monitor and then your laptop or even your iPad or even your phone into the monitor and power everything and all of that good stuff. Yeah, that's not bad for 300 bucks for 4K for a 15.6 inch screen. That's like that's a nice, that's a good portable screen. I like that. Yeah, thank you for that, Ari. Yeah. Hmm. 
Hmm. <laughs> it makes me think maybe, maybe I should get one of these. Uh, along the same lines, Paul D tells us about the espresso portable screen, which is uh, a it, which which has some interesting uh, features. He says it's the one that I use when I travel. And the fun thing about this display is that it is also touch sensitive so you can interact with apps with your fingers, which that is actually pretty cool. So yeah, it's the espresso at E S P R E S dot S O. And they call it the the world's thinnest portable monitor. it's got a little stand with it. I wonder how heavy it is looking. Uh, It's got a, it seems like it's got a pretty hefty base on it, like a metal base. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering how that works, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Touchscreen. Gotta love it. Nice. Although I don't know. I I guess I'm not used to using my computer with a touch screen, so I'm not sure if that would matter for me or not. I don't know. I don't know. Have you well you haven't been you've been you've been sidelined for a little bit, so a little bit. <laughs> you haven't been traveling. Yeah, yeah. Although I did have to laugh at myself with the uh uh when we first put the electronic flight bags is what they call them in, okay. in the airplanes. Yep. It was mo- it was mostly menu buttons on the side, but you could use a stylus and drag certain parts of a chart around that sort of thing. Sure. But you find yourself having been used to an iPad and or an iPhone, you're trying to pinch and open or, or squeeze and, and none of that ever worked. It you never know? did oh, work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so that was limited touchscreen, but yeah, no, this, this looks pretty cool. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, you know, last week, Pete, you were talking about wanting to use your work-provided right. iPad as a uh, second display, as your sidecar display, and you couldn't because you weren't logged into the same Apple ID on both. Well, listener Kent, Kent, Kent yeah, yeah, says uh, he says for years when I was working, I used a, an app called Duet Display at DuetDisplay.com, and which uses a wired connection to my MacBook Pro. Having that extra screen space was a real advantage over just my MacBook Pro. And using a wired connection, he says, bypassed any issues of latency or network wonkiness or anything like that. And he says Duet Display is still current in the App Store. So that would be a good option for you or for any of us that, yeah. you know, want to want to do this with an iPad and sidecar is not the option. So I need to pull that out and try it. I've got the uh, I know I've got a USB-C to lightning cable. So that's yeah. going to be the, the modus. Uh, maybe is your iPad My lightning? lightning? Oh, OK. So you have an older iPad with lightning. Yeah. yeah OK. I think OK. Sixth or seventh generation. Yeah. 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 OK. It's about three or four years old. Yep. I wasn't sure how how up to date they kept those. So, yep, interesting. And yeah, well, uh, when you have to provide six thousand guys with an iPad plus all the mechanics, that starts getting expensive. Yeah, that's that turns into real money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are those are airplane airplane dollars, right? Yes. What do we what do we call those they things? Are. Airplane, airplane bucks. Yeah. Airplane bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, similar in this same vein, listener Russell uh, shares. He said, I heard on the show about the Luna display adapter that allows an iPad or an iMac to be used as a screen. I bought one, but I was unhappy with the long delay and slow and expensive delivery to Europe. But now I have it, and it certainly works. My M1 laptop is the Luna Master, and it uses a 2017 5K iMac as a screen. 
Also possible to use the laptop to screen share the headless Mac Mini that is on the same network and view control the Mac Mini with the laptop on the iMac as a Luna display. So this is an interesting thing for all of us that want to use our Retina 5K iMacs in, you know, target display mode, but cannot Luna display might be an answer for this kind of like this he says my main connection is a thunderbolt 3 cable which is decently fast uh and uh and yeah he just set it up in network preferences with the right ip range and he's good to go interesting john i stepped all over that that was your question that you prepared wasn't it uh that's okay <laughs> sorry i just kept rolling here I, as i after i read the question i'm like hey wait that's john's i said john's i was gonna say john's handwriting it was your uh your your email font i just kept us rolling here so my and, and do you have anything to add to that john um no sorry man. no basically luna is it's a dongle that lets you connect another screen yeah which is fascinating. I, I I never thought about it to solve that problem before. I I I like this. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know we talked about it on the show, but yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Where are we here on time? Let's see what else we have. Um, let's jump to Neil here. Neil, um, it, it, we're talking about backing up synologies on the on the Synology episode. And Neil says, uh, I've been aware of cloud backup solution. iDrive for some time, but I hadn't tried it out. Uh, it turns out that there is an iDrive package for Synology, which provides a versioned cloud storage facility. I've been using Synology's hyper backup package with purchased online storage, but the co- as the costs go up with my increasing storage requirements, iDrive provides a great alternative. Since everything on my laptop and my wife's iMac is in folders synced via Synology Drive to my NAS, I can just let iDrive on the Synology take care of all of these backups. But if I needed to individually backup another device, I can just connect it to the same account. Another nice feature is that as far as I can determine, I can access the backup storage from the Synology from the web or from the app loaded on my MacBook Pro. So easy access to iDrive from anywhere, and the backups uh, just happen from the Synology, or or from your Mac, too, if you want. That's interesting. I, huh, huh. Ah, I love the, this is what I loved about doing this show. We, we get to learn things. Do you, what, do you, you know what I learned? What's that, Pete? Remember one of those shows back there, I said something about how I never get any error message from my Synology. <laughs> Don't ever say that. You didn't knock on the wood, Pete. No, brother, I didn't. Because I'll tell you what, I got I got the error message yesterday. So I went in and I shut everything down and pulled the drives to make sure, you know, what size I had so I could go get a new drive to replace the one that said, hey, I may be failing. Yeah. And when I started it back up, uh, the web server of my Synology disk station is not properly working. I reached Ooh. out to support. Mm. And but it's 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 kept me now from being able to sync. I can still access the drive, sure, and put files and pull them off. But it's not syncing with my wife's computer, with my computer, and all that. So I'm waiting to hear back from Synology. So it's just like the the Synology Drive app won't run. Is that what's happening essentially? Yeah, it says the 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 root uh, 
problem appears to be the web server portion of the Synology disk station is preventing file station and the Synology drive app from properly running. And when you click repair, it just goes package couldn't launch contact support. And are you but you're able to get into like Synology DSM via the web interface. Mm -hmm. So the web server is running. Well, right. Yeah. But but not properly somehow mm, because it's yeah. preventing those two packages from running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe so, they have some safe mode or something, uh, you know, bare bones yeah. web server to, to let you in. Interesting. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I never say everything's working fine. I'm great. I don't need any help. <laughs> well, and, and when a drive dies or is dying in your disk station, like I, my advice would be don't shut it down. Like replace that drive. It, it, because, you know, it, anything can be the catalyst to it getting worse. And and so, you know, the in most disk stations, the drives are hot swappable. And oh, yeah. and right. Yeah. And so I wouldn't pull them out. I would just go into uh, storage manager on there and look. It will tell you the sizes of each drive and where they are in the in the array. So you can say, OK, all right, it's drive three that's dying that's a whatever a 10 terabyte drive so i need a 10 or larger you place your order you get it when it arrives that's when you yank it out that's when you put it in uh but hopefully synology support can log in and uh you know yeah well they told me they were going to send me an email and i and have me send them the debug logs so they could look at it and figure it out um and of course i haven't gotten the email from them and as we talked pre-show, I'm having some. Email. I think, yeah, I think they sent the email because that usually comes immediately. That's like yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to have yeah. to call them today and say, "Hey, send it to my other email address, yeah. please," and, yeah. and we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, see, you you do it the technologically smart way. I just I just pulled. I wanted to see what size drives I had in there, and I, yeah. I found out I think I've got three terabyte drives in three of the bays. I've got an empty bay, so I should have just gone and gotten a bigger yeah. drive and slapped it in the fourth bay. And that's it. Yep. Yeah, but no, you'll get there. It's smart. You'll get there. That, what the reason? I mean, you know, we become smart about these things by doing them the hard way and the right. wrong way, and and then sharing our experiences. So yeah, that's that's kind of the key. So hold my hold my beer and watch this. Yeah, <laughs> are so. you doing any cloud backups on your disk station, John? I, are you? Are no. you? You you said no. Is that right? Correct. Okay, so you're just you're just backing stuff up to your disk station and then backing that up to another disk station is what I remember, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I use iCloud and Dropbox and OneDrive. Sure, that's right. Content. Yep. Okay, so you so have I'm doing some cloud, but not from the uh, Synology. Not from the Synology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've got some of the sort of sort of mission critical stuff synced to some server that's not at your house. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, yeah. Uh, we should yeah, look at our we should look at our disk stations, John, and see if we've got enough storage for one another to be um, our our remote options, and then we can stop paying cloud for cloud storage. Mm. Like if we each carve out a you know a terabyte or two for each other, like I don't know, you know we should have this conversation. I like this idea. Yeah, you could have a whole round robin. Thing I was going to say we do it for the three of us, and now we're we're in good shape. Yeah. Huh. All right. So for stay tuned. Uh, one now, path- for your issue, oh, go ahead. Pete. I'm wondering yeah. if resetting your Synology would be a way to go. I've restarted it twice, but I haven't reset it. Yeah. 
Because they do have a couple of options. Um, okay. Boy, that uh, would just one is like a soft reset, would... and there's also one that'll actually reinstall DSM as well. Okay. Well, maybe I should look at a soft reset or something because I, I, I've got some shared folders and some, you know, my Plex Media servers on there, and you know, syncing with my wife's computer or my computer, and I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> how some of that is set up. Um, Dave was kind enough to help me set that up the first time, and it's working. Uh, again, I don't want to fix it because it that part ain't broke. But yeah, I, I may have. When I had to, when I decided to migrate from what the old format of disk stations, which is ext four, to the new format, which is btrfs, it's the it's like moving from hfs plus to. APFS, right? It has snapshots and there's things that can be done with it that can't be done with the old one. There is an unlike Apple, there is no migration assistant for doing that on a Synology. And so I had to set it up from scratch and a new volume and reinstall my apps and move everything over. And, you know, in the end, it was fine. It allowed me to do a review like we were talking about earlier, but uh, it was a, you know, it was probably a, you know, a couple hours a day for a week to get to the point where it was like, okay, I, I can stop thinking about this now. Um, so would, would something like that, you know, that Delta Walker to app that we talked about that compares folders and files and volumes to move stuff over. It, it's almost like an FTP from one. Well, the, the data wasn't the issue. It was oh. reconfiguring all of the packages and, you know, what do I run and how do I do all these things? Because there's, you know, there's a settings that a setting that you'll go and change on some random Tuesday to solve a problem. And then you forget that you did it, even though. It was a monumental and fundamental change that allows you to do all the other things that you're now doing. Right. Y right. You know, and so like forgetting about what each of those things were was part and parcel of how I learned to use my Synology <laughs> all know? over again, all <laughs> over again. Yeah. I was like, why isn't this working? I know I've solved this before. Then, you know, you search on Google and find the article I wrote telling people how to fix this. It's like, oh, I guess I wrote this for future Dave. Okay, great. So, yeah. All right. Hey, uh, I am a 1Password fan, as, as many know, and now 1Password8 uh, is here. And one of my favorite features of 1Password8 is what they call universal autofill. So, you know, when you're going to launch like an app or something and it asks for your password, like, say, logging into Zoom, if you've ever been logged into Zoom on one computer and you go log in on another computer, when you go back to the first one, you are logged out like they're really oh, yeah. hardcore yeah. about it. Universal autofill will fill in passwords on your Mac for apps like Zoom regardless of whether like outside of the context of a web page, which is awesome. So that's my, that's one of my contributions to cool stuff found this week. So yeah, it's good stuff. I like it. It's, it makes, it's a, it's a nice improvement there. So yeah. yeah. Are either of you, uh, one password users, John, you're still, what do you use nowadays? Uh, last pass. Okay. Okay. And, and it, it, like, 
I assume they keep that up to date. I know there were some like security issues with LastPass for five minutes, but I think they got past all that, right? Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. As far as I can tell. Yeah. And I finally had to throw them some money. Oh, because they're subscription-based. Yeah, yeah. I've been paying for 1Password for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was one password until they went subscription base. Then I went away from it and I went, all right, quit being a cheap <clears throat> yep. bad word. And, uh, and I went back to paying for it with the subscription. And I, I mean, I'll just love it. It's universal across all my devices. Um, one of the cool things that I even forgot I had is that it will do uh two factor authentication. It'll do mm-hmm. uh one time passwords. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. It's, which makes them no longer two-factor, right? If they're stored in the same well, yeah. place as our regular password. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you know, it's fine. As long as it's fine. I mean, Apple's doing the same thing now with iCloud, um, right? So, like, it's all. Right. It's right. fine. Yeah, yeah. That's how, it's just how it be. Um, yeah, I... I Google Authenticator has gone away from Authenticator. They're not sending it to like your YouTube account. Hey, is that you? Yeah. That's different. Yeah. It sucks. I don't like that. I I like. I like Authenticator better. Yeah. Yeah. Than sending it to my YouTube. Yeah. But I like 1Password even more than Authenticator because 1Password now syncs to all my devices, which again, technically makes it less secure, but it also makes it make security more convenient. And I think making security more convenient is actually more secure in the end because I will implement more security if I can do so in a convenient manner. Right. That's the key, right? I mean, that's the whole point of one password is you, you don't want to have to use the same password everywhere, but that is the temptation because you need to be able to remember it. And so here we are. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, I've got some funky passwords now because of one password. So, yep. Yep. Because I can, because you can. Yeah. Yeah. I have been tempted to move the family to Bitwarden, uh, which is an open source password manager. Mm-hmm. Several listeners use it and have recommended it uh, over 1Password. Like, forget about the fact that it's effectively free because you can run it on your Synology disk station. And and now you not only are you not paying a subscription, but you control the data. Uh it's all encrypted on one password's end. I don't mean to imply right. that there's any issue there, but you know, control the data, control the data. That's, you know, there's, there, there is an increase there. Uh, but I just, I tried to do some exports and imports from my one password data into Bitwarden, And it was not entirely the most fruitful endeavor when I tried it. And I thought, Oh, I, I need like extra time to do that. So yeah. maybe once I'm like done with my crazy travels here, I will, um, I, I will dig back into that this summer, perhaps. Well, that's what I used was Bitwarden when I was off of one password and I liked it. Did you host it yourself or did you let Bitwarden did. host it? Okay. I, did. No, oh, I, I didn't know myself, that, but I found it to be, just a little clunkier than one password. I mean, it, you know, it was yes. cheap and worth it, right? You know, I mean, I, you got, you know, one password is just, it, well, you get what you pay for. They do a really nice job. It's a slick interface. It's, they do right up until you start having a family plan with vaults. And the whole concept of vaults in one password is terribly implemented. Uh, and that's one thing that that Bitwarden does better because you just tag things and but it's one vault. Like I, I will routinely find myself looking for something in one password and it'll say 
you don't have any logins for, you know, for this. It's like, I know I do. And it's like, oh, I'm in the vault that I share with Lisa. It's like, come on, guys. Like, get, we got to get past this. And so that's not just here. Yeah. yeah, Search by default, always search everywhere, no matter what, you know, like I need to be able to set that setting because getting, you know, siphoned into a vault and not finding an easy way out sucks. So that was a big part of my reasoning for considering Bitwarden. And again, several listeners have said to me, once you make the jump to Bitwarden, at least how it is today, I don't know how much, how long ago it was that you did it, Pete, but they say in a couple of years. Yeah. They say that the improvements they've done make it so that it's like, it's, it's the best of them all for a lot especially for families. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And organizations too. So I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll probably dive back into it. So someday. Maybe we have more on this. No listener, listener, Donna uh, tells us about the uh, something she saw on iOS today. The Satechi Quattro wireless power bank. Uh, It's a 10,000 milliamp hour portable charger and it's got a Chi pad on it for your phone it's got a puck on it for your watch and uh, or, you know, um, and, and then it's also got a, uh, a, you know, power out ports. So you could charge your phone with the, you know, the power port and your AirPods with the Qi port on the thing. 10,000 milliamp hour, 99 bucks on Amazon. We'll put a link in the show notes for you all. But yeah, thanks, Donna. That's cool stuff. That's why we so we're in we're into the not saving money portion of cool stuff found and we're not sorry about it. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I mentioned travel. Steve tells us about the cocoon grid. It travel accessory organizer. Uh, he says, I use it to carry and store all of my wires and charging bricks when I travel. And it looks like a pretty cool thing. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I'd never, I'd never, they have all kinds of different ones that are built for, you know, various, um, various types of, of stuff, but it, it's a, it's a, 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 maybe a, I don't know what you'd call this material canvas or something, but it's got a bunch of straps, like rubber, uh, elastic straps inside so that you can slide all of your devices under these straps and it just sort of holds them in place. And it could hold your, your phone or your AirPods or your watch or your cables. And it's just a, a mishmash of all of these straps. So you can choose, OK, I want a bigger one here and a smaller space there. And that seems pretty cool. What do you do? You use anything like this when you travel, Pete? Uh, I, I don't. Um and, and I probably start should start doing it because <laughs> yeah. particularly particularly overseas, you still have to pull out your laptop and your iPad and your phone and take your belt oh, off. And yeah. so it'd be nice to be able to just throw that whole folder in, in the bucket and go. Yeah, um, especially if it's open, you know, and they can yeah. see the contents. You don't have to actually extract each thing. Right. right. Oh, yeah. You just reminded me of the headache. I, every time I travel internationally and I'm I am getting on a plane tomorrow to Greece, which is why we're recording a little early, uh, I always forget coming home that I don't have TSA pre-check. And I need to not only take my laptop out and maybe take my shoes off, depending on what country I'm in, but I have to take all my liquids out. 
And let right. me tell you, when you are in line for, you know, the the analog of TSA there, you know, yeah. uh, trying to figure out if you have a little baggie to put all your your liquids in is a fun little exercise while you're also trying to move down the line and not have the people behind you hate you. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I've learned, actually, when you if you can put put them all in one bag and check that bag. Yes. It's just. That just makes life simpler. Yeah, that's true. I like to that. keep, especially for long international flights, I like to keep like hand cream yeah. in in my bag just to, you know, if things get dry on the plane. It's just a nice sort of respite from that to put a little hand cream on, you know, five hours yeah. into a flight. So I have those things in my, you know, in my carry on bag. Yeah. But well, are you? Yeah. Are you, are you going business class? I am not or, Pete. Yeah. I'm so, flying five yeah, people. So class. yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't have Pay the, for an extra thousand bucks. I give you a little, uh, kit <laughs> with hand cream in it. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds nice, Pete. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm not going to spend a thousand bucks on that. Okay. Uh, well, it's actually probably closer to 3000, but you know, yes, just saying it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was about, I think it was going to be about 400 bucks a person, yeah. to upgrade us to business class. And somebody suggested that I do it for uh, me and Lisa, but I, I didn't, I have not yet done that. Yeah. There is still time. <laughs> there is still time. All right. Uh, maybe they'll, maybe they'll upgrade us because they love us. You know, I hate to say this, but internationally, they just it don't upgrade you. They'll uh-huh. leave you behind before they upgrade you. <laughs> And seriously, and I, I know this uh, riding on riding on Debbie's passes when we go flying yeah. uh, internationally. Uh, if there are ten seats in business, and coaches oversold by five, those ten seats in business are available to the non revs. They don't bump people up to to business or first class. Are unless you they've inconvenienced you? If you got a, a ticket and they've inc- now maybe on the next flight they'd put you up there to get to get you going. Yeah, but uh, but on that flight. No They'll, kidding. Yeah, yeah. the non revs take speaking. take priority over the the, over the paying, the paying passengers. Ca- passengers. It, it get upgrade because they, I guess, years ago they figured out people learned how to game the system, yeah. overbook coach, and get bumped. And yeah, uh, they said, "Nah, we're we're done with that." I used to do that all the time. Yeah, it worked great. <laughs> Domestically, it works still. It does. But internationally, yeah. no, no. Oh, for you. I never tried it internationally. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. All right, we got time for maybe one more, if not two. Listener Elliot tells us about a shortcut called Glance at glance.broink.com. Don't worry, the link's in the show notes at macgeekgab.com. This will put a weather report overlay and complications, wind, chance of rain, battery, etc., for your current location on your lock screen with various themes over either a wallpaper or a random picture or whatever. You can run the shortcut as often as you like during the day to update the update the weather location. He says, I do it every hour via a personal automation in the shortcuts app. So it's building a picture like that. That's what this shortcut does, because your lock screen on iOS is pictures. So it's building a picture that then, uh, you know, that that has all that data on it. And uh, yeah, I like what a great yeah. I like this idea. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And yeah, you can. Human. Can lay, yeah, you can lay it out whatever you, however you want. It, the, the screenshot we're looking at here 
has, you know, it leaves room for the time and the date at the top because obviously your phone's going to do that. At the bottom, it has a, a little, you know, weather report that almost looks like a little notification badge, but obviously you couldn't tap it. And then, you know, you have your camera on the far right, the little camera button on the far right of the lock screen and the light button on the far left. Well, in the middle, they have made two similar looking buttons, obviously unpressable, one that shows the chance of rain and one that shows shows the uh, wind speed. So it it really this is I might have to mess with this. This is good. I like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's slick. It is. Yeah. As uh, as my friend pilot Pete likes to say. Oh, it wasn't you that said this. It's slicker than a mouse's ear. Did did you say that, or was that my friend Sid Rich? Firing a frog's ear. No, that that one wasn't me. Okay, my friend Sid Rich, to, uh, who was a something cl- else that might have come out of a mouse or a snake. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leave it to Pilot Pete. Maybe that is the right place to start to pull the plug on this episode before we go too far into crazy land. You got anything to add, John? Before we pull this plug. Mm, maybe okay <laughs> like any content maybe. to add anything uh before we get to the the very very end of the episode any anything to add before we before we get into the outro here um yeah well, we can make this some cool stuff found go ahead kind of. yeah well we got it at a, at a show you and i just went to but um it's a different version of the same thing but um, I'm actually using it now. So the Lenovo Smart Clock Essential. But this one has the A-Lady built in instead of the G thing. Okay. So, All right. But no, it's great. I, I actually replaced my um, A-Lady that I had in my bedroom with this because it does the same thing. Interesting. So now I have all these extra A-Lady devices. <laughs> I wonder if it's. I don't know what to do with. (laughs) I wonder if it's available because I looked on the Lenovo site and it's saying temporarily unavailable for this. Well, it recommends the uh, uh, A Lady one. Okay. Yeah, I think the G one is yeah is not available. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Cool. But no, it does as you expect, and when you and when you speak to it, it replaces the screen with two little eyes. To make it look like a little person, which is uh, kind of cute. That's cool. Oh, so you know what you're getting yourself into. Yes. Okay, I've got the right link in the show notes now. The Smart Clock Essential yeah. with the A-Lady built in. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that I noticed is, so a couple of days ago, it has a little bar when it's listening to you. Yep. Um, it was pulsing yellow because it had a notification for me. Oh, nice. So it'll even play your notifications. Ah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember a while ago, I was like, I think it asked me, it actually asked me, it's like, hey, do you want to enable notifications for like when your stuff is coming? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Those no, might no. drive you crazy. I get notifications on my on my Echo Dots all the time now. I, oh, it drives me nuts. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, nice find, man. I didn't grab one of those at that last show. Maybe I should have. I feel like I'm missing out now. It's a couple yeah, of years they, old now, but there was a, uh, just for entertainment purposes, uh, a lady for elderly folks uh, that SNL did. Oh, I remember, remember that, that skit. skit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was a screen. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, never yeah. remember her name, yeah. calling her all kinds of things. <laughs> What's the temperature? Temperature 72. Where? Outside. What? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, all right, cool. Thanks for adding that in. I like it. Good stuff. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks for joining our Discord group at MacGeekUp.com slash Discord. Uh, we're always putting stuff in there, but you're always putting stuff in there, too. It really it it is exactly what we have always wanted for a community. We tried it at Facebook. That didn't really get us what we wanted, a Facebook group. We tried it at uh, at you know at the forums, and that never really caught on quite the way that I was hoping. This Discord community really is a community, and it it's our home away from home. I love it. So, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Our next show will be released, recorded, and released on June seventh, which is a Tuesday. Apple is having their WWDC keynotes and State of the Union and all of that stuff on the sixth. I will be on an airplane on the sixth, hopefully home from Europe. And then we will record on the 7th. So we're not going to be recording while I'm on the plane for a variety of reasons. Some technological and others probably because the flight attendants would make me walk the plank or something. So, yeah. No recording shows in your No recording shows. No streaming on the plane. But it's me. I'm just streaming John F. Braun. It's all good. I, I can't, I, I, you know, I got to get my dose, my weekly dose of John F. Braun. <laughs> all right. Yeah, but you can find all that on the, the calendar at MacGeekUp.com slash calendar. You can subscribe, and then you'll know when, when we're recording. And we'll release that episode also on Tuesdays, you know, shortly after we record it. So. All right, that's what we got. Make sure you go check out that new Envoy Pro Mini from OWC, because that thing's pretty pretty magical. Check out the rest catch of it. near tag for that thing. It's small. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> You don't lose it, right? I like that. Yeah, I got to remember to put air tags in all of my uh, all my suitcases before we check the bags that we're going to check too. Yeah, yeah. You mind if I plug mine? So there I was. Us. So there I was. Us. Our second show is recorded. It should drop before this show hits the air. Nice. I love this podcast. You guys are want to listen. So there I was. Nice. Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, you got us into this mess. How? How can we get out? What can we? What, do you have any advice to share before I, before I embark on an international journey here? When you're traveling, Dave. Yes. Just remember three things. Don't get caught. Made up. As always, good advice. Thank you. <laughs>